Sometimes it's hard to focus on the poetry. I'm not gonna lie. Sometimes it's hard to focus on the poetry. Poetry night rings through. On Monday, June 3rd, we said... One more time, if you like the poet, ladies and gentlemen, what are you going to do? Yeah! Woo! All right, I'm feeling good. Are you feeling good? Yeah. All right. Okay, starting you off this evening, we have Chris Gusta. Clap the poet to the stage, ladies and gentlemen. I sewed all of the dirty thoughts in my mind into my pillowcase. I rest my face on them at night. If I sweat too much, they leak through. They get printed in reverse on my jaw. To walk to work with all of the names I want to call people on display, there's something about honesty. I can probably still rub out the ink, but then the words are just paler. It is pathetic the way the skin is waiting to betray you. Thanks. Starting us off strong, ladies and gentlemen, that was Chris Gusta. Wow. Man. Learn to speak adult. That's beautiful. All right. Coming up, ladies and gentlemen, we have our very own Boris Schleinkofer. Please clap the poet to the stage. Thank you. Dear Louise, I'm sorry it's been so long since we last spoke. I've been desperate to tell you things, but have been unable to reach you. I've found my way to the mountains, though it is not at all what we'd expected. They are unfriendly, full of danger, bad news to visitors, and woe unto their families. The mountains here are full of poison, and I have gotten lost. You would not believe how the land is full of traps, the snares everywhere hiding to yank up your feet, the steel bar poised to snap down on the back of your neck. I cry for you to think that you should long to see me here, for I am still not at home and have nothing to give you. The mountains told me in confidence that they were glad we'd never met, the mountains and I. And I'm afraid I could tell you why, though it break your heart to know. They are too big to hear us. All we can be to them is reduced to what they'll want from us. 
Please do not wish to be by my side. I'll find you elsewhere between dreams of wrapping our tails together and sleeping pressed nose to nose. I hope you're feeling better wherever you are and that they give you lots of pretzels. Look for me to come in the summer months when I have gotten fat on stolen beer and outgrown the mountains. Then I will not need to talk my way free with my fists and my whip, and we can live together someplace romantic and rugged, just like you always wanted. Forever yours, Harrison Ford. Thanks. Boris, ladies and gentlemen. I like that. Up next, we have Angela. Please clap the poet to the stage. Various distortions of love. Variation one. We were things of cellophane and wax wings, transparent, aflame, glancing off each other, at each other, as if we were one moment mirror, the next moment light. We were aloft. Mannequins. We were mannequins nodding to each other when no one was looking. Fire trucks. We were fire trucks racing down wet streets to the burning house we set aflame and forgot. We were cellophane and bright things without regard for what came next. Variation two. We were two and started at the number two. We banned one from our vocabulary. We were the things that are left after the fire, melted into each other, colors run and stuck. We lost our selfness. We were giants. Variation three. We were fish in a half-salt lake. We knew the next thing coming. We learned from fire but never anticipated salt. Variation four. We are ghosts. We cannot leave. We smell faintly of celery and sex and mistakes. We are chalk dust and rich compost. We start again and try harder next time. Variation five. You are pale bud and I am water. We negotiate. The inevitable flood, the drought, and the failed openings. We are no longer afraid of ghosts. We are both pale buds. We begin to discern the outlines of each other. We are birds, transparent now, salt-tipped, winged, paired. We are aloft. Thanks. Angela, ladies and gentlemen. Wow, that was some fabulous stuff. Coming up next, we have Michael Bradley. Uh, in the mid-Victorian, uh, early Victorian age, a poet named Thomas Hood wrote a song of, of the shirt about the women who clothed, uh, clothed by hand with low wages and awful conditions. It was one of the first uh, feminist poems. Uh, I do the pastiche of the first two stanzas. I call it the Song of the Pork, with apologies to Tyler's Hood. With knives are sharpened and stropped, with pork, both bacon and lean, fork 
is fine pieces and dice put in grinder and kind crank 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 like weeks in white wine and some egg and in chopped a chopped onion perfectly well minced we sing the song of the pork cook 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 with spices chosen for taste and stuffed 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 into bacasins and tie them in links now grill or pour or fry first worth serve with mashed and veg and maybe a savory gravy to serve a meal that I please a king. Thank you. Thank you, Bradley. Truer words never spoken. Okay, up next we have Ryler Dustin, and he's all the way back there, so you're gonna have to clap for a minute. So, um, so I wrote an article for the Cascadia Weekly that was uh, actually last week's. I know that he meant a lot to a lot of us in this room, so I wanted to read this um, for you guys. It's all right. So uh, it's called Grace Notes, which is the name of one of his books. The first time I saw Jack McCarthy, I was in line at Stewart's Coffee House, then a haven for local artists, Bellingham Bohemians, students, loners, and poets. At the time, I didn't know what the word poet meant. I didn't know much of anything. I knew I needed to write for some reason beyond my control, but I didn't know what to write or why or even how to begin. All I knew with certainty was that I needed a cup of coffee. That's when Jack took the stage. I had stumbled into some kind of open mic, and the audience, mostly 20-somethings like myself, hollered at the old man's approach. I suspected an amazing feat of prestidigitation, or a musical performance, but the man had no instrument. Perhaps he would sing? I could not have been more surprised when he opened his mouth. He was speaking, not singing, not even orating, but speaking, the way one speaks to a longtime friend, and the audience couldn't take their eyes off him. I guzzled my coffee and leaned closer. He was talking about addiction. I stopped drinking only when it hurt too much to drink. I stopped smoking when it interfered with jogging. I stopped jogging when the pain in my hips started waking me up at night for ice cream, which had to go when my cholesterol reached escape velocity. I realized suddenly why my peers were so rapt. It was his honesty. We were the generation weaned on MTV, inundated by eight-second commercials. Overstimulation was our bread and butter. But this soft-spoken, lanky man at the microphone had tapped into a profound hunger, the human need to hear honest speech. Sitting at Stewart's months later, after I'd begun to read and write and listen to and practically live on poetry, I noticed Jack's table was littered with note cards, each filled with observations about the poems read that night. I noticed my own name among them. He had been taking notes on us, I realized, on every single poet. 
Jack was one of the most successful and beloved slam poets in the history of the medium. His seminal book, Grace Notes, his full-page poetry spread in the Boston Sunday Globe, and his legendary appearance in the breakthrough documentary Slam Nation would have been enough to give any poet an ego trip. But Jack's sincerity seldom wavered. He listened when anyone spoke, and when they shared their poetry, and somehow seemed to speak directly to each of us when he performed. It's tempting to go on about the loss the poetry community has suffered since Jack passed away last January. It's tempting to bewail the stunning inadequacy of words. But I can hear Jack's voice in my head. Stick to concrete images, Ryler. Don't get weepy. Remember to make them laugh before you make them cry. So instead, I will say that shortly before he passed, Jack requested I bring him bacon-topped donuts. <laughs> it's, it's true. Um, as I brought them, I thought about that first poem I'd heard, the one about addiction, in which he gleefully describes giving a personification of bad health a run for his money. Jack's absence and the lives he touched will never ease up. But as Jack would say, life isn't supposed to be easy. It's only supposed to be worth it. After he said goodbye to my friends and me, he invited us to raid his bookshelf. I found the first poetry I ever published, a staple-bound homemade chapbook. Inside were copious notes, grammatical corrections, <laughs> even somewhat unscrupulous criticisms and poem ratings. <laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. Jack touched so many lives because he understood how to listen, to pay attention. He taught us that writing well isn't about speaking, it's about listening. We are going to miss his words, but his quality of attention is what we can't find by opening his books or playing his albums. The sound of his pen on cardstock, the real writer's secret, the writer who can listen, is among the most profound poems I'll carry with me. Those were Jack's grace notes. <clears throat> Thank you, Ryler. That was amazing. We got Tom and Scott. One mind, one time for your mind, or one mind for your time. So, as I was thinking about things, there's a, a song by Towns Van Zant, uh, Texas songwriter. It's called uh, "Mr. Mud and Mr. Gold," and the song is is about a card game. So the wicked king of clubs awoke, and to his queen he turned. His lips were laughing as he spoke, and his eyes like bullets burned. The sun's upon a gambling day, his queen smiled low and blissfully. Let's make some wretched fool to play, and plain it was, she did agree. He sent deuces down into diamonds, four to heart and trade a spade. Three kings with their legions come, and the preparations soon were made. They voted club the day's commander. They gave him army, face, and number, and all but the outlaw jack of diamonds and the aces in the sky. They gave seven's first instruction, said, spirit me a game of stud, stakes unscarred by limitations between a man named gold and a man named mud. So club filled gold with greedy vapors until his long green eyes did glow, 
and Mud was left with sighs and trembles, watching his hard-earned money go. Flushes fell on gold like water, and tens they paired and paired again. The aces only flew through heaven, and the diamond jack called no man's friend. The diamond queen saw Mud's ordeal and began to think of her long-lost son. She fell to her knees with a mother's mercy and prayed to the angels, everyone. The diamond queen, she prayed and prayed. And the diamond angel filled Mud's hole. The wicked king of clubs himself fell face down in front of gold. Now three kings come to club's command, and the angels in the sky did ride. Three kings up on the streets of gold, three fireballs on the muddy side. So the club queen heard her husband's call, and lord that queen of diamonds joy when she, the outlaw in the heavenly hall turned out to be a wandering boy. Now mud he checked and gold bet all, mud he raised and gold did call, and that smile just melted off of his face when mud turned over that diamond ace. So here's what this story's told. If you feel like mud, you'll end up gold. And if you feel lost, you'll end up found. So brother, lay those raises down. Hey. Thanks, Scott. And I guess staying in the tradition of song lyrics, I've got one called The Mermaid by Great Big Sea. When I was a lad in a pirate town, me old man said to me, You can spend your life, your jolly life, just sailing on the sea. You can search the world for pretty girls till your eyes are weak and dim. But don't go searching for a mermaid's son if you, if you don't know how to swim. Cause her hair is made of seaweed and her skin is blue and pale. Her face, it'll be a work of art. You'll love that girl with all your heart, but you'll only love that upper part. You will not like the tail. <laughs> so I signed on to a pirate ship. Me very first day at sea, I seen a mermaid in the waves reaching out to me. Come live with me in the sea, said she, down on the ocean floor, and I'll show you a million wondrous things you've never seen before. So over I jumped, and she pulled me down, down to her seaweed bed on a pillow made of tortoise shell she placed beneath my head. And she fed me shrimp and caviar upon a silver dish from her head to her waist. It was just my taste, but the rest of her was a fish. Cause her hair was green as seaweed and her skin was blue and pale. Her face, it was a work of art. I loved that girl with all my heart, but I only liked the upper part. I did not like the tail. But then one day she swam away, so I sang to the clams and the whales. Oh, how I miss her seaweed hair and all the silver shine of her scales. But then her sister, she swam by, and it set my heart a whirl, cause her upper part was an ugly fish, but her bottom part was a girl. <laughs> yes, her hair was green as seaweed, her skin was blue and pale, her legs, they were a work of art, oh, I loved that girl with all my heart, and I don't give a damn about that upper part, cause now I get some tail. A message that can last the ages. 
That would be, that was Tom with an H and Sky Casey, everyone. Give him a round of applause. Man. Up next, we have Andy McBride. Clap for the poet people. That's right. Thank you. This poem is a lead-in poem. Uh, title begins with the first sentence. At Temple Bar, I refuse to worship her or this color standing in for her or my brittle, fragile love. Still, I note the cobalt blue bottle with its eyedropper top at my end of the bar. Hunched over a gym beam and water, dad's drink, Without too much trouble, I could reach across the wide bar top, give the bottle a half turn to see its handwritten label on masking tape. I resist, pointedly refrain from reaching for it, from holding it in my hand, from reading whatever is scrawled on its label. This end of the bar is tidy but busy, shot glasses, a candle, its flame flickering in its red votive glass, a stack of black cocktail napkins, a squat wide mouth, clear glass bin of wine bottle corks, trays of various salts on staggered scales, a pepper mill, a tumbler of bamboo cocktail spears. Close enough are rows of upside-down wine glasses, Bottles of absinthe, a pyramid of sugar cubes, and white paper-sheathed bottles of bitters. Black walnut, peach, Aztec chocolate. Finally, I have to know, can't leave until I ask. No sacrifice here. Carefully, I ask the bartender, what's in the blue bottle with the eyedropper? Indulgent. He replies, orange flower water, and turns the bottle so that I can read its label, orange H2O. I think to ask, but don't. Shouldn't it be in an orange or even brown bottle? Cobalt blue still draws my eyes, still clouds my sight and scales my judgment, and I guess will until I can no longer see. At Temple Bar, I refuse to contemplate the candle flame as echo of her ancient love for Dad, or as echo of our old and sunken love and regard. I know the bottle doesn't contain Mom's bitter tears or an extract of her love for her daughter's and friends and realtor, or a tincture of her silence mold with herbs. I could reach up and across the wide gulf of absence and give her memory a half-turn tweak. Finally, I refrain, pointedly resist. Thank you. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. Andy McBride. Woo. Good stuff. Up next, we have Nathan Dodge. Give it up for Nathan. 
TikTok turns grindstone, turns blood and sweat to progress. Toil builds it up, each a carapace tossed away after single lifetime serving. And yet nothing, and yet tumbleweeds, and yet barely a tombstone in half-life. When history is written by the shut-ins, what gets left out? Tor whittled to monument, designed by hands that never touched, never calloused, never built, claiming credit for intellectual pursuits for final product, though thought should be only award, should be only notch, should be the final word fading from print. When history is remembered by the idol, who gets left out? Steam catchers wind, boiler-plated walkers moving natural to exploited, moving need into slag, strange bedfellows of hope and destruction. Why not say no? Why not turn off? Why not pebble-swept in avalanche? When history is rose-colored, what goes underneath? Wrapped in power, cathode flickers of pretend, slows all, confuses all, disrespects all. Such promise set out, then twists and perversions, Another institution turned target. Harmonious tune turns thinking to toil, turns thinking to whatever, turns thinking the walking dead hobble under illumination. When history is ignored by the chosen, who remembers the truth? Next in line ticket holder is unready for the punch. Stumbles under weight left by the first's lost luggage. From the first comes questions demanding, where did it all go? Where did it go wrong? Where did it all while tapping belly full in contemplation. When history is fluid, who knows what's right? Thank you. Nathan Dodge, give it up. Yeah. Now, without further ado, or without further further ado, I'm going to give it to you, the sweetest angry black man you will ever have the pleasure of knowing, Robert Lashley. This poem is called Spartacus at the Strip, Ali Holmes, October 2nd, 1980. Not by scores of fiery chariots, not by a tribunal and its line swelleth over. No, he died and he died and he died as allegiance went to the drop table. As reverbs of his victories and the moans of the outnumbered render his silence into a sound. As lights to transform his life to a myth, transform myth to a landscape of his body. As the broadcaster turned cantor, chants in freeverse via satellite, an exclusive closed circuit. Angelo is telling the referee to stop it. Bundini is arguing with him. He would not. He would not give in, Angelo Dundee. He cared about his fighter too much the way Jenny Futch cared about Joe Frazier too much in 1975 in Manila, too much in Vegas. A coward may die a thousand deaths, and a gladiator's life is his funeral. Thank you. This poem is called The Gang House Garden Thief's Love Ballad. <laughs> For your garden, I will find you hot corner petals. I will put them in my crown royal bag. 
I will search past the weeds, the thickets, the nettles, search past the suckers and their impossible tags, and share with you my world in stems and in colors, beyond reds and blues, those handkerchief flags. I will give you my lavenders beyond the hard metals, and forty-fives, concretes, and faded do-rags. But your love creates me, and love never settles for an environment. So I work, I'll pick them, I'll snag. For your garden, I will find you hot corner petals. I will put them in my crown royal bag. Thank you. Give it up for one of my very favorite poets, Robert Lashley. Okay, it pains me to say this, but we are bringing the night to the close. Please. This is going to be a great call, guys. This is going to be the best call. Way better than the other calls. Already, the microphone reeks of rusty poetry. It really does smell like rust and poetry. It's, that's really weird. Kind of like kind of coppery, you know, but also like herbaceous, not that kind of herbaceous, but you know, herbaceous, you know, you know already the microphone reeks of rusty poetry, it really does smell like, Go for it. 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 Go for it.